Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Several years ago, Gary Chapman published a book called The Five Love Languages. Some of you may remember this. He stated that love is expressed in five ways. Gift-giving, quality time, words of affirmation, acts of service or devotion, and physical touch. Some of you may remember this book. There was a quiz in the book that you could take and tell you what your primary and secondary love language is. If you were a couple, this could help you understand how you could better express your love to each other. I remember doing this with Don when we traveled. I think my primary love language was quality time, and hers is acts of service. So she just needs to spend time with me, but I actually have to do stuff to express my love for her. (laughs) Mr. Chapman followed up this book about love languages for, for children and appreciation in the workplace. My point here is that we can feel and we can express our loves in many, many different ways. And here in the passage we're studying today, we see the siblings Lazarus, Martha, and Mary all demonstrate their devotion and honor to Jesus in different ways. And sometimes when we read this, we focus a lot on Mary. And the gift was rather extravagant, and we will talk about that. But we also see that Lazarus and Martha also honored Jesus in their ways. If you'd stand, I'd like to read the scripture today, John 12, verses 1 through 11. Six days before the Passover, Jesus arrived at Bethany, where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served, while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As the keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put in it. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. Meanwhile, a large crowd of Jews found out that Jesus was there and came, not only because of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to kill Lazarus as well. For on account of him, many of the Jews were going over to Jesus and putting their faith in him. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your scripture and what we can learn from it, the richness of it. I pray today that you use this message in our daily lives to help us understand you better, 
to help us become more like you. Use the Spirit to give it rich application to each one of us. Father, speak through me and make your voice heard today. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. Last week, we talked about the death and the resurrection of Lazarus. And at the end of John 11, in verses 55 through 56, we read that people in Jerusalem were already arriving for Passover, and they were beginning to wonder where Jesus was. It says, when it was almost time for the Jewish, Jewish Passover, many went up from the country to Jerusalem for their ceremonial cleansing before the Passover. They kept looking for Jesus, and as they stood in the temple courtyards, they asked one another, What do you think? Isn't he coming to the festival at all? And here in John 12, we read that he arrived in Bethany just on the outskirts of Jerusalem six days before Passover. He arrived in the Jerusalem area almost a week early, but for the Jews, this was cutting it rather close. You see, most of the Jews who needed to travel any distance would arrive early enough to undergo this cleansing ritual. They wanted to make sure that they were purified and could participate in the Passover meals. It wasn't necessarily essential, but if for some reason you became impure on your journey to Jerusalem, like stepping on a grave, like we talked about a few weeks ago, you'd need time to cleanse yourself before you could participate in the Passover meal. And if there wasn't enough time to cleanse yourself, you couldn't participate. And then there was an exception for that, and you'd have to do Passover later on. So most people would arrive at least 10 days early for the Passover, if not even before that. But here Jesus doesn't arrive until six days before the Passover. He's ministering near the Judean wilderness until then. And he probably does this to avoid the confrontation with the Pharisees until the appointed time, which is quickly approaching. In John eleven fifty seven, we read, the chief priests and the Pharisees had given orders that anyone who found out where Jesus was should report it so that they might arrest him. And here Jesus is arriving at Bethany, and he's certainly not hiding. He arrives and he attends a feast in his honor. The other Gospels tell us that this feast is in the home, home of Simon the leper, which is kind of an interesting title. It probably has something to do with how Matthew is, continues to be called the tax collector. This may have been a man that was healed by Jesus, was no longer a leper, but was still carried that title. And notably in attendance were, were the apostles and the family that Jesus loves. The recently dead man and now celebrity Lazarus, and his sisters, Martha and Mary. And here in this Feast of Honor, we often focus on Mary's lavish worship, but we also see that each of the siblings honor Jesus in different ways. Martha honors him with her work, Lazarus with his witness, and Mary with her worship. And here in verse 2, we see, here was a dinner given in Jesus' honor, and Martha served. The first time we see Martha in Scripture, 
is in Luke 10. And she is busily running around organizing the household for a feast, making sure the menu's right, the food's cooked properly, the drinks are served, the house is neat, and everyone's seated comfortably and ready for the feast. And probably many other things that I'm failing to mention. And I think we can all understand being busy. And probably the women here understand this a little bit more viscerally than, than the men do, as they are often called to organize these large household dinners, like Thanksgiving, Christmas, and Easter. Martha was very busy, and, but at some point she notices that her sister Mary isn't busy. She's sitting at Jesus' feet in adoration. Not so much even engaged in conversation, but just listening to him as he interacts with other people. You can imagine what Martha starts fuming in her mind. Here I am doing all this work, and she's just sitting around. And eventually she confronts Jesus, and Jesus tells Martha that Mary's focus is exactly where it should be. It's on him. And in Catholicism, Martha is the patron saint of cooks and servants. Probably because twice when we see her in Scripture, she's cooking and serving in Luke 10 in this scripture today. But I think there's probably more to Martha than, than a cook or a servant. Although she was probably a very good cook, as we see her put in charge of this feast in another man's house. Martha's name means she is rebellious. And though sometimes our names don't fit our personality, I think this time it might. Martha had a pretty strong personality. A personality that may have seemed a bit rebellious for a woman in her culture and society. Martha strikes me as the type of person who volunteers to serve in a committee and soon ends up in charge of it. Not so much because she sought that out, but because other people saw that here was a woman who knew how to get things done. She's the type of person who's always moving, always has multiple projects and plans for each day. We all know people like this. They enjoy being busy. They enjoy getting things accomplished. Even, these are the type of people that even when on vacation, they have a schedule of daily activities to accomplish. I love my father. I want to preface this in case he listens to this later on. Love you, Dad. <laughs> but I do not have this type of busy personality, and my father definitely does. He's the busiest person I know, even in retirement. He's redone almost every room in his house. Some of it Bill's helped him with. And the house looks great. And I've learned to be pretty careful about what I'm talking about about my projects when I'm around him. If I mention future projects or anything that I want to fix at some point in the future, Dad will be there Saturday morning knocking at my door with tools in hand. And I've not always been grateful for that. And sometimes my father helps prepare these holiday meals. And if I'm just sitting around talking with my brother, that's not good. He wants us up helping. He wants us in the kitchen. Even if it's just to stand there and watch him work. But I have come to appreciate his drive. Because in his busyness, my father has the heart of a servant. 
If I need help with something, he is always there to help. When my business moved, my father spent two days helping me organize and hang the wall graphics. When I replaced the flooring in my house, my father was there to help me tear out carpet and organize and lay out the new floor. I think sometimes that if not for people like my father or people like Martha, things just wouldn't get done. And sometimes I wish I had a little bit more of this, more of my father's drive and more of my father's servant heart. We definitely need Martha's in our church and in the body of Christ. We need people who can organize, people who can get things done, and people who are willing to work and serve, who are always putting themselves forward, people who are looking for ways to honor Jesus through their work. Not only do we need people like this, but I think that all of those who are not naturally like this need to learn that there are times when we need to stretch outside ourselves and adopt a bit of Martha's servant heart. So here is a dinner given in Jesus' honor and Martha served. And it's very similar to the first time we read about her in Luke. But this time Martha's focus has changed. This time her focus isn't in the busyness of the feast, but it's on who she is honoring through the work. It's on Jesus. And so Martha honors Jesus, and she honors it through her service, through her work. And then we read that Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. And we might not immediately recognize Lazarus' contribution to honoring Jesus. Because while Martha busily organizes the household, Lazarus is reclining at the table with Jesus. But remember in John 11, Lazarus had died and was resurrected by Jesus. And now he sits at the table with him. Lazarus is honoring Jesus with his witness. If you skip down to verses 9 through 11, we read about that. It says, Meanwhile, a large crowd of Jews found out that Jesus was there and came, not only because of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to kill Lazarus as well, for on account of him, many of the Jews were going over to Jesus and believing in him. Dead and buried for four days, Lazarus doesn't need to do much to witness to the power of Jesus. He does it just by living, just by being there. And I would expect that he is often called upon to tell his story, and that story was probably pretty powerful. Imagine waking up to Jesus calling your name and realizing that you're in a tomb wrapped in your grave clothes. What an experience Lazarus had to tell people about the power of Jesus. And we have not all been physically resurrected like Lazarus, but if you've accepted Jesus as your Savior, you, like Lazarus, have been transformed in a powerful way. And we can demonstrate our faith in our daily walk with Christ. The evangelist D.L. Moody tells about a young enlisted man who was first sent to his regiment. The first night he was in the barracks with about 15 other young men who passed the time playing cards and gambling. But before retiring that night, he fell on his knees and prayed. 
And they began to curse him and jeer at him and throw boots at him. So it went on the next night and the next. And finally, the young man went and told the chaplain what had taken place and asked what he should do. Well, said the chaplain, you're not home now, and the other men have just as much right to the barracks as you have. It makes them mad to hear you pray. And the Lord will hear you just as well if you say your prayers in bed and don't provoke them. For weeks after, the chaplain didn't see the young man again, but one day he met him and asked, By the way, did you take my advice? The young man said, I did for two or three nights. How did it work? Well, said the young man, I felt like a whipped hound. And the third night I got out of bed, I knelt down and I prayed. Well, said the chaplain, how did that work? The young soldier answered, we have prayer meeting there every night. And three people have been converted and we're praying for the rest. Lazarus' very life marked him by the power of Jesus. And our life and how we live mark us as well. We're led by the Spirit. This young man, this soldier faced persecution. Lazarus faced death. And neither could help but to live for Jesus. And we see in verse 11 the effects of Lazarus' life. On account of him, many Jews were going over to Jesus and believing in him. Wouldn't it be wonderful if that could be said of us? That on account of Jason, or Don, or Art, or Jerry, people were going over and believing in Jesus. Martha honored Jesus with her work, and Lazarus with his bold witness. And then we come to Mary. And Mary honors Jesus with her worship. Verse 3, it reads, Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped her, his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. Has anyone ever attended one of the super high-energy churches where everyone's up and moving all the time? I've attended some churches like that. Honestly, it makes me a little uncomfortable probably because I'm not extroverted and my discomfort springs from the public displays of emotions, probably rooted in my fear about what other people might think of me. But here we have Mary pouring an expensive perfume on Jesus. And two of the gospel writers say she poured it on his head. John specifies that she anointed his feet and wiped it with her hair. It appears she may have poured it all over him probably starting with his head and ending with his feet, which she wiped with her hair. John tells us the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. I read that spikenard has a profound and complex aroma, a combination of sweet, spicy, and musky, an organic, earthy scent, a smell bursting with life and with promise. And expensive perfume probably would have lasted a long time. This scent would have hung on Jesus as he entered the city, as he spoke to people there, as he reclined at the Last Supper with the apostles, even as he was led away from Gethsemane. And this lavish expression of devotion may have even lingered as they entombed his body. 
What a display this was for Mary. This was an act of utter devotion. Judas says in verse 5 that the perfume was worth a year's wages. And gentlemen, what's the most expensive perfume you've ever purchased for your wife? This was not some cheap perfume from the dollar store or the corner drug store. This was department store quality. <laughs> it's hard for me to even imagine a perfume that would cost a year's wages, so out of curiosity, I googled expensive perfumes. And I didn't spend a lot of time with this. Uh, but in my rather rough research, I found a perfume sold by Harrods in London in 2005 called Imperial Majesty. It cost $215,000 a bottle. <laughs> and in today's money, this perfume Mary used would have been worth about $25,000. Can you imagine ever purchasing anything like that? And then if you did come to own something so precious, can you imagine running up to someone and just upending the bottle over them? Mary's act was utterly extravagant. And it goes beyond that. She then uncovers her head and wipes the excess perfume off his feet with her hair. And respectable Jewish women would never uncover their hair in public. In fact, it was considered a mark of a woman of loose morals. But Mary is so caught up in her devotion and honor to Christ that she doesn't care what others might think of her. She's like David, dancing before the Lord, dressed questionably. Mary casts public opinion to the wind. She lets her hair down, and she wipes Jesus' feet. And David's fervent devotion embarrassed his wife, but the Lord sided with David. Mary's action made the apostles kind of uncomfortable, but Jesus sided with Mary. And I wonder how much time we spend just worshiping our God. And I wonder sometimes if we lose ourselves in that devotion and worship. I think sometimes our focus is on the work that needs to be done in the church and in the community. And in the people that need to hear about Jesus from us. And we forget just to take the time to sit at Jesus' feet in worship. Here at this dinner, Jesus was honored through Martha's work, Lazarus' witness, and Mary's worship. And I'm going to add a fourth W here, as Judas gives us an example of what we should not do. Judas whines. In verse 4, it says, One of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As a keeper of the money bag, he used, used to help himself to what was put in it. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. To Judas, the future is looking rather dim. None of the apostles at this point are really taken to heart that Jesus would be dying soon. But Judas, perhaps hopeful that he would have a measure of power when Jesus rallied the Jews and tossed out the Romans, is beginning to doubt that that's going to happen. 
In fact, Jesus has alienated the most powerful Jews, and he's done nothing to lead him to expect that a rebellion is near. So Judas is beginning to line his pockets. And soon he'd betray Jesus for about a tenth of what this perfume had been worth. And John points out that his motives had nothing to do with helping the poor. I also see this as a criticism of Mary's worship. This extravagant public display of love and devotion that made Judas and probably many of the others who were there uncomfortable, even shocked that she would do such a thing. Mary was prepared to make herself completely vulnerable with this scandalous action, uncovering her head and loosing her hair in public. And then I think back of me afraid to stand up and raise my hands to say praise the Lord. Nothing stops Mary from doing what she feels to be as natural and a perfect way to express her devotion to Jesus. She's expressing her love for the Savior who has brought her brother back from the grave. Her priority is right where it should be. It's on Jesus. All of us should express our love in part with our work and service, with our witness for Jesus, and by worshiping him with devotion. But like Martha, Lazarus, and Mary, some of us are naturally more gifted in one area than another. Some of us will gravitate to honor Jesus through our work, or through our witness, or through our worship. 1 Corinthians 12 12 says, Just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one Spirit, so as to form one body. Whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given one Spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. We all drink from the same Spirit. We're all one body. And there are many ways for us to honor Christ, but the most important thing is that our focus and motive is in honoring Jesus. And as parts of the body of Christ, we express our honor and our devotion and our love in different ways. Sometimes we experience his love for us in different ways also. But like Martha, Lazarus, and Mary, each of us is loved and valued by Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the examples of, of Lazarus, of Martha, and Mary. Thank you for their hearts that were focused on you, focused on honoring you and what they did and what they said. Give us these hearts. Give us our focus. Make our focus you. Help us to work for you with servant hearts. Help us to witness for you boldly in persecution and even threat of death. And help us to take the time to worship you in a way that brings honor and glory to you 
Father, I pray this in the name of your Son. Amen. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.